As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, the Newcastle boss, Eddie Howe, says Loris Carrius has a magnificent chance to rewrite the story of his career with Newcastle United in Sunday's League Cup final against Manchester United five years on from his errors in the Champions League final. Meanwhile, at Anfield on Tuesday, we saw two of the very best, Alisson and Thibaut Courtois, make mistakes on the biggest stage. Does the risk of ball-playing goalkeepers outweigh the reward? How do goalkeepers recover when things go wrong with millions watching? This is going to be fascinating. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Allison's kick is in the right direction. Oh, oh. Pope. Oh, he's in big trouble here. And he goes. It's all going Liverpool's way. And a, a week before the Carabao Cup final, Eddie Howe is losing his goalkeeper. It's the Bravka Cup tie. He might be. Oh, he's cup tie. Doris Carius hasn't played a final since the Champions League. Carius sends it forward here towards Benzema. He got the option to Marcelo. Oh, and then Carius. Oh, it's gone in. There's a shot, oh, he's dropped it! It's Gareth Bale again, and it's a howler from Carrius. Two goalkeeping errors tonight by Carrius have cost Liverpool so dear in the Champions League final. Back to the goalkeeper by Carver Howe. Oh, oh, he's made the mess! Oh, it's a terrible error! It's a terrible error by Thibaut Courtois! Gomez on the chase. Gomez plays it back to Vinicius. Oh, Alisson's clearance has gone in. It's hit Vinicius and agonisingly bounced off him and looped gently on the bounce into the back of the Liverpool net in front of the cop. So to help us through this one, we have a goalkeeper's union. Uh, former Liverpool and England goalkeeper Chris Kirkland, former England and Southampton goalkeeper coach Dave Watson, who also played in the Premier League with Barnsley, and someone regarded by many as the greatest of all time in his position, uh, Manchester United and Denmark's uh, Peter Schmeichel. Does it say everything about goalkeepers, Chris? I'll come to you first. That we still talk about Loris Carrius, in Eddie Howe's words, having a chance to rewrite the story of his career based on one game and one performance. It's the world we live in. You know, people can't wait to put people down, unfortunately. Yes, footballers are in the spotlight, but 
Listen, he will be... Carries, I hope he has a, a great game. He probably won't be thinking that coming Sunday, but I hope he does because, listen, it is. That's the way football is. He's remembered for that final, obviously, for Liverpool. And this is his chance to, you know, to, to try and get over that because he'll still be thinking about that. He'll be nervous going into the game. If he plays Sunday, it's not guaranteed he plays. I know the other lad might play as well, but he'll be nervous going into to Sunday's game, that's for sure, and he'll be desperate. And I think a lot of people, especially goalkeepers, will be desperate for him to do well. Pete might not want him to do too well with it being against Man U. But um, I hope he does. I hope he really does. And I hope it shuts a few people up as well. Do you think, Peter, in the main, just the position, that it's harder to throw off one mistake in your position than any other? The only comparison I can think of, and it's why I came to you on this, is that I suppose people still go on about Manchester United not winning winning the title at West Ham because Andy Cole missed a couple of chances. But apart from that, I can't remember many outfield players being blamed for one particular match 20 years on, 10 years on. You know, when you play at that end of the scale, when you play for the trophies, you, you, you end up, we're talking about a final now, you end up playing against somebody who's done equally as well to get there. So you are a bit against the best quality. And, you know, things happens in games. We saw that very clearly yesterday. Things are, they're on, you can't explain why they happen. It happens to all of us. So, you know, the big thing is how you recover in that next second. How, how do you play? And you, you saw with Thibaut Courtois yesterday after I've made that mistake, which is not a goalkeeping mistake. It's just a simple, I don't even know what name I can put to it, but it's something you cannot explain. I actually interviewed him after the game and, and he's laughing. I said, I can't explain it. You know, just, you know, I was trying to do something and then it hit my knee and then all of a sudden it was in the back of the net and that's it. So how do you recover? What's going to happen in the next second? And I thought he's a great example of what happens when you are top, top goalkeeper in the next second. You are focused, you get the next ball to your feet and you deal with that. The crowd's going mad and the next one comes in, the crowd goes mad. Now, when you talk about what happens to it in the in the in the Champions League final with with Carius, he made one mistake, and because he made that mistake, he also made the next one. Made the next one. That is for me where to me he shows that he probably isn't there completely as a top top goalkeeper because a top for me a top goalkeeper would have recovered from that. The first mistake he made is the unexplainable one. Can't explain what happened. Yeah, I I saw I was going to pass the ball out there. And then it hit somebody's foot. Now, the second one, that's really, really poor goalkeeping. But that's because that still plays on, in his head. You know, it plays on his mind that he's made that mistake. So, and this is it for me. This is what separates the really, really, really top, top goalkeeper from the good ones. How much work when coaching then now, Dave, is mental with goalkeepers? Peter makes a great point. You could all, everybody will always make a mistake. That's, that's the position. But you have to recover. And I think the position is so much more about the mental strength. When you've made that mistake, there's such a period left in the game and you've got to come through that. And the bigger the club, the bigger the platform, Champions League finals, World Cups, goalies have to perform and occasionally they will make a mistake. But there's certainly a, a, a definitive line between the, the ones that have a decent career but the ones that really push on to the next level mentally they are different to the, potentially the rest of us. How much do you separate out, and, and Peter mentioned this, Dave, how, how much do you separate out a goalkeeping mistake, okay, but uh, compared to one, because I, I don't think either last night you would call goalkeeping mistakes, would they? they, they one, one was just miscontrolled, 
Uh, and the other one was a clearance that bounced back off or a misplaced pass that bounced back off a, a Real Madrid player. To all intents and purposes, neither that we saw last night are goalkeeping mistakes. Can you can you separate them? You, you have to separate them because uh, the philosophy now of most managers, international teams or club teams, you want to have to say possession of the ball. If you don't have possession of the ball, then it takes you a long time to get it back. So all these teams want to keep possession they want to build through the thirds and they want to play. They trust everybody to play. And there's no way that even in that one game yesterday, if you make a mistake on a pass, you still have to believe that your centre-half's going to split when he tries to find Gomez. And you've just got to keep playing the, the, the percentages. Ultimately, Alisson would have wanted to play a bounce pass in the midfield and then just turn it out the other side because, because he was starting so high, he couldn't get the pass to Gomez because Gomez couldn't sprint enough to get to that side to receive the ball. But they would have done that routine in training, into a six, back across, and they're out probably 99 out of 100. But obviously, Vinicius Junior is a bit quicker than maybe most players that you come up against, and you know the, the, the margins are so small. Does the modern trend for how we play out from the back make goalkeepers even more susceptible to mistakes? Chris? Peter made a great point there. After Courtois made a mistake, he must have dealt with 10, 15 balls. Could you probably tell me better, but after that. Now, you take 10 games, see what's that, 150 actions when it's coming back to you, you're going to make a mistake. You're not going to get 150 perfect. You take the best player, probably for Liverpool or whatever this season, pass percentage, Thiago, 87%. So 87 of his passes out of 100, find the target, 13 don't. Them 13 out of 13, none of them will get punished. None of them but will probably end up in the back of the net. You do it once as a keeper, it's going to happen. It's simple as that. But what you need is the back of your manager. So if your manager's saying, keep playing like that, keep playing like that, I'll take responsibility. This is not easy because at the end of the day, the keeper will go home last night and think, why don't I just kick it? Or why don't I do something different? I know they're trying to tell me to play out from the back, but you feel horrendous. You do. You feel horrendous. But like Pete said, the, 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 the top, top keepers can recover quicker and they will forget about it and get on and court. So I did that after the game. But it's inevitable. You're going to get mistakes, but it's like you said at the start of the programme. If they make one and they've had 10 brilliant games before that and they've been superb like Alisson has and you make that one mistake, the world jumps on you and it's just unfortunate, but that's the that's the cruel nature of the beast. Fans, commentators, pundits often think, why don't they just kick it though, don't they, Peter? Do you watch it sometimes and think, why don't they just kick it? I used to do it. I know. <laughs> you could pick the ball up at the start, <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. That's very, that got, actually got changed uh, sort of halfway through my career. I, I could actually pick the ball up. Um, but I, so I was also, I was in that sort of transition period where it went from being able to pick the ball up and then they, they, they changed it into 10p. I can't remember what exactly how it was changed the first time. But second time, obviously, it's what it's nearly what it is now. Um, and and I was fine with that. That was not not a big problem. We didn't play, we didn't play out as from the back as much as you do today. But if we had the opportunity, we would of course we would have, we would do that. It's brilliant to have the backing of the manager. But if it goes wrong time and time again, you know what what you know what's the value of the backing of the manager? I think the one thing you have to do for yourself is to protect yourself. So. You have to make sure that you don't make these mistakes. And if you feel a little under pressure, like Alison did yesterday. So so Alison, are we calling it a mistake? Yeah, we call it a mistake. The Alison mistake yesterday is very similar to the carriers in the in the final. Very similar. And and I think top of my head, people 
listening to this will probably go somewhere on YouTube and find something that will contradict this. But top of my head, I think I would have launched that into orbit every time from that situation. A lot of other situations, I probably would have stopped the ball and tried to pass it out. But the game is different now. So for the goalkeeper, what is the value of having the backing of the manager if it happens again and again and again? At some point, the manager will get tired of it and then somebody else will get a chance. I am surprised and I'm very proud as well for, for the goalkeeping community that these mistakes aren't happened that often. I don't think, I mean, we, it was, yesterday was just freaky. You know, at that level, it's just freaky. You know, I, I can't remember a game where I've seen, you know, two mistakes being made like that from either goalkeeper. I can't. And and yes, we see the odd one now and again from different leagues. Maybe we don't see one every week, for instance. And I'm quite proud that, you know, the evolution of the goalkeeping position has gotten into the point where goalkeepers now are players, trusted players, able to use their feet at the same time as doing, you know, all, all the basic goalkeeping uh, stuff. So I don't think it's a great issue or something that we should be worried about uh, in football. Well, you are right, Peter. And he is, isn't he, Dave, to turn that on its head? Because if you think of the number of times an outfield player will probably give the ball away over the course of 90 minutes. I mean, I know people are obsessed with their past completion stats and so on and so forth. The, the fact that the goalkeepers are considered another outfield player when it comes to distribution by a lot of teams and a lot of managers. Actually, we should be we should be turning it on its head, as Peter said, to say that it's astonishing that it happens so rarely. I think so. If, if you came and watched any of the uh, Premier League teams working, you, you would see the coaches, obviously, you do your normal goalkeeping drills and what have you. But they're involved now in so many possession practices and obviously the 11v11 aspects of the game. The amount of contacts they have with the ball at the feet far outweigh the work with the hands, for sure. And the coaching of the goalkeeper now, it's really important you have a relationship with the manager and the other coaches because they have to go in the outfield possession practices now, even though you know they would still work in a goalkeeping type position. But they work really high in um, sometimes you'd play 10v10 and the goalie would be outside his box in a possession practice, seeing all the passes through the lines into, and then obviously, ultimately, Edison can obviously go beyond and, and really start a counter-attack. But the work that the goalies do now with the outfield players is certainly more than it's ever been, and that's with it changes in the rules. But the, the goalies are certainly very, very accomplished outfield players with both feet. Let me ask all three of you, at, at, at the start of a game, and, and by the way, Loris Karius, you know, has has played since the Champions League final and he was at Union Berlin last year. It's not like he sat twiddling his thumbs for, for four years. So, you know, he has been playing in goal for other, for other teams. But in a big game, as a goalkeeper, what, what did you need to settle you down? Dave, you can go first because you often hear an outfield player in a big final. I'll tell you what, to settle them down, they just need a need a couple of touches, bang, and, and everything's cut. Not quite the same for a goalkeeper. So, what did you need to settle you down? No, you you always want to have a touch of the uh, a touch of the ball. If you can make a great save or take a cross, then that's great. But in the modern game, the reality is, in these big games, the first action most of these goalies are going to get is the ball at the feet, because that's the way that they play. They're, they're going to receive it at the feet. And they're going to be expected to find a teammate and start building through the thirds. So the 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 older element of it, when you used to want a catch or a cross or a save, something that would really get you on the front foot, these lads have to have a different mentality because the top, top ones only might make that one massive save a game to win you the points or win you the final. 
now they have to be more accomplished than be able to play with the ball at the feet. So I think now it's changed that they're just happy to get get a touch of the ball with the feet and, and find a safe pass. Chris, what did you need? Spot on, Dave. Yeah, spot on with that. I but going back, mine. I'd love to come and take a cross early doors, a nice high cross and bowl it out somewhere. But yeah, the game has the game has changed now, and you see now the ball does probably go back ninety nine percent on the floor to a keeper to start with. So that's what they'll train. Dave just mentioned it there. That's what they'll train to do leading up to the game. Uh, all the analyst stuff now is tenfold compared to what it used to be. Whereas when we when we first started, I said we you could <laughs> pick the ball up or you could boot it into into Rhodes Ed and you'd done your job. So, but yeah, I used to love coming in taking across early doors. Peter, I used my my warm up was kind of my uh, my switch to to switch onto the game. So everything that went before was just trying to relax and be you know be calm and. Not think about you know the magnitude of whatever game it was because you, you play for a club like Manchester United. Every game is like a you know you play against somebody who thinks they're playing a final. You just knew they had to do that job. So not labeling the game in terms of importance and and, and what the consequences of a win or, or defeat would be. Just trying to relax and then switch it off. I switch it on 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 the warm up and then all the confidence I needed to get to bring into the or to have in the game. Um, I would get that from there. I was very specific with how I wanted my warm up, how I wanted people to take shots of me, and they're still coming back to me, think, telling me what an idiot I was. But that was the way I was. And then once, once you know, once we kicked off, I would just be very focused. And again, playing for a club like Manchester United, I could go games where I maybe touched the ball five times. You know, that first time could be twenty minutes into the game. That was something, you know, obviously you get used to that. And it was something that, you know, I needed to put no importance to that. Just not think about it. The way I then acted in in a game situation was I was, you know, very close, as close as I could get to the team. And I was kind of directing and judging and whatever, uh, just to feel that I was part of it. And and, and that was it. I, I didn't necessarily need to get the ball. Of course, if you got the ball... It was nice. You felt you you were in the game, but I didn't kind of. It wasn't like I was asking to get the ball back, uh, to get a touch because all of that I I felt that was done in the warm up. How did you? I have to ask you. How did you want the shots taken at you in the warm up then? <laughs> and and if they weren't how you wanted, what? what <laughs> I think I probably know what you did. But what did you do? I really didn't like it when they put them in the top corners. <laughs> uh, I hated I hated conceding goals. Uh, uh, during my warm-up so I've, I've been very weird in, in uh, and, and very different I think to other goalkeepers I, I never really kind of enjoyed doing goalkeeping training diving about you know doing all that stuff I very much wanted to be with the team I was literally with the team every day and I grew up doing goalkeeping training separate to the team in terms of uh, of times so the team never saw me doing any goalkeeping training that always saw me with the team. I always thought that even though that it, it is a, a specialized position, it's still very much part of the team and you need to be part of the team. There needs to be a kind of understanding and a hundred percent trust between everyone in order to get the team to work. And that goes for the goalkeeper to the team as well. So um, I always use examples of, you know, when you play with players like Gary Palace and, 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 and Steve Bruce, who were two very different defenders in terms of physicality and speed and pace and how 
quickly they could turn and you ask them to be very, very high out in pitch. Pallister would be very comfortable with that, but you'd think that Steve Bruce would be a little bit uncomfortable because turning and then, you know, the quick sprint back wasn't his forte. But when you gain that trust that if he he's for instance, if he's pushing if he's pushing an attacking player wide, he would trust me to deal with that from an angle. Those kind of things are only built up by always being together in training and of course it accumulates during games. In all of this, I've always felt that I was a little bit different and a little bit weird compared to how other goalkeepers wanted it to be. I mean, obviously, I, I see how my son is working now. He's very different to me as well. He needs all that, you know, every day. He needs to have that half an hour with the goalkeeping coach. He needs all these shots at him. And it's fine. I think, again, it is, you know, a very individual position and we deal with whatever we have to deal with in our own way. But I think the most important thing is what happens in the 90 minutes and how you get to that and how you get to that comfort zone. You know, people can do it whatever way they want as long as they play nice, play good. And that comfort zone, but also how you deal with things in your own individual way is one side of things, Chris. But for a goalkeeper as carious as he's going to be on Sunday, who is coming in as essentially the third, the third choice at, at, at the football club into, the, into that dressing room, how important are his other... 10 teammates pre-match in this I mean you know have you seen situations where you can a second choice keeper comes in a third choice keeper comes in and you can feel nerves in a dressing room you know they've been without Bruno Guimaraes for the last three weeks I don't imagine whoever's come in to play replace Bruno Guimaraes has had that much scrutiny on them as what is happening with Carrius ahead of this yeah, listen, he'll be he'll be nervous. But like you said, boys, he's played games. This is probably the biggest game since he's played in in that Champions League final. So he'll be nervous. But he's been training the team every day. Pete just said they mentioned it. That's a big thing. He'd have been training the team for the last I don't know how long he's been there. Last couple of months, so he knows the way they work. They probably know the way he works. So they've done all the drills. So he will be now. If I was him, I would just be desperate for the game to come. It's the waiting. It's the build up. You know what is it? Sunday. So they've still got a few days now. That that was the, that's a difficult thing. Especially when you've got something on your back like he has done, like he has, not through any fault of his own. Yes, he made a mistake, but it's other people, it's the media that hype it up. And it, oh, it's his first game, you know, big game since then. So he will just be desperate for the game to come around. I just want to ask Pete a question, Mark, all right, because. Yeah, go for it. When he says about the elite goalkeepers, you know, like he was in, not saying he was on here, he's one of the best I've ever, I've ever played with or seen. But that mentality, when you do, how did you recover when you made a mistake? To go like you said there, the top keepers can forget about it and get on. I, if I made a mistake, then I would I would fret about it. I'd, the next day, I'd be out. I'd go out on a twenty mile walk and like, oh my god, what did I do? And stuff like that. And that's probably why I didn't reach the heights that I probably should have done. My mentality probably wasn't what it should have been. How did you recover from a mistake like that going into your next game? I don't know. I don't think <laughs> I ever made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm joking about this, but that's it. So for me, the most important thing, obviously, is in the game that I didn't make the mistake. I, I, I mean, I, I, I knew obviously I knew if I'd made a mistake. I knew that. I knew, and and the thing is, you do make mistakes in the game, literally in every game. But people don't see any of them or most of them. But what I used to do was, you know, the blatant ones is I I put it in that sort of yeah. Mistakes happen. I can't explain it. It's what it is. It, I'm not a bad goalkeeper because I made that. But I would make mistakes that that I w- I wouldn't be happy about. And it could be little small things. It could, could be conceding a goal where you know everyone would say, 
goalkeeper had no chance. But I would feel that I had a chance if I had done this, for instance. And I would think about that, um, you know, maybe, maybe, I mean, I, I always had, I always had trouble sleeping after games because of the adrenaline and everything. Um, so I would think about it. Just think about so what happened in the run up to that. Where where was I? Did did I did I go in the right position? Did, did I cover my ankles perfect? And I would then try to come up with a solution to what would I do in the next the next time I face that situation. And I would try to find a situation like that in training and just see if it worked out. And I'll come up with stupid ideas, you know, being four yards further forward or maybe being, you know, another yard further back or, you know, opening up to the left a little bit, stuff like that. And I would try it out in training and see if it worked. And if it didn't work, I, you know, I'd just move on. But one thing I never did really was to linger too long uh, over mistakes and, and most certainly not call them mistakes in my head. Goalkeeping is so much about confidence and and uh, the one thing I didn't want to do was to bring myself down by, by losing confidence, thinking, well, I made some that many mistakes, you know. So uh, that that's basically how I deal with that. I mean, the big ones, Chris. I it's just I I I made that. I I can't explain it. Move on and then not think about it. Brilliant. Take the humiliation in the media, and then just move on. Yes, but Chris, in game, in game, if you make a if you make a mistake, did you have a routine to deal with it? You know. Get your water bottle. Don't make eye contact with the crowd. Have a. You know, was there a. Was there a. Was there a way of dealing with it in game? When it first happens, you want the ground to swallow up. Yeah. Swallow you. Yeah. But then, I mean, is it worse? You know, if you're going to make a mistake, I always thought it was. Is it best to make it at the end? But then, have you got a chance to redeem yourself? Do you make it at the start? But then you've got a long time to go, and it's you know it's very difficult. It's interesting. People said it's very difficult then to switch off and say, right, you've got the rest of the game, deal with it. But that's the difference between the elite and, and the not-so-elite, I suppose. So, But it is, listen, it, but I, if I made a mistake uh, in a game, it, it is, it's extremely tough to forget about that. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
just from a coach's point of view as well, Dave, here, in the build-up to this final, how much would you as a goalkeeping coach be working with the outfield coaches and the outfield players to make sure, even taking Peter's point about not liking people smashing them in the top corner in a, in a warm-up when he was warming up, how much would you all be in sync to make sure that the preparation and the mood is absolutely spot on for a new goalkeeper ahead of a cup final? Yeah, I think everything for Carriers this week, the amount of training and the 11v11 stuff he'll be doing will be massive. Peter makes the point. He has to be comfortable in that environment. His back four have to be comfortable. They have to start and realise where he's going to be on the field. Ultimately, he's been third or fourth choice at Newcastle. So he's not played behind that back four. He'll have seen the training because he'll have been at the opposite end or he may have been working with a goalie coach while a lot of the 11v11 went on. To put him at the back of that unit now, they have to do so much of that this week. But it's interesting, Peter's take on it. I, from, from the coaching point, I think the obvious goalkeeping mistakes, everybody sees them, whether you're the goalkeeper, you're a pundit, you're a fan. But I think Peter's subtlety, and that's the way I, I looked at it from a coaching bit, I always wanted the goalies to really think about every goal that went in, because even if it is a worldie, there's always something that you can think about. And I think that's the coach and the goalie's relationship to try and work and get better. And yeah, you can always say everything. You can't stop everything. But I think if you have the mentality that that's where you want to start, then I think you're obviously on the right path. But for this week, for Carrius, everything's got to be positive. If I were doing the coaching with him, I certainly wouldn't want to be knocking too many balls past him, that's for sure. He has to feel as comfortable as he can in terms of when he does the little goalkeeping sessions. But when he gets in that 11v11 with a team, they really have to go through all the, all the patterns that they normally play just so that he's in the right position when he's going to receive that football. Let me start with you, Dave, on, on the final point of, the, of this pod, which is at the other end of, of the field. We're expecting it to be David De Gea, unless Tom Heaton comes in, but we're expecting it to be David De Gea. Give me a coach's and goalkeeper's appreciation of someone who has had his own ups and downs, but has also been part of a Manchester United team that has had a lot of ups and downs during his career and yet he has been a constant. Peter knows better than anybody on this podcast the the pressures and, and what it's like to play for Man United and the expectation of playing for Man United and David De Gea came in and obviously didn't hit the ground running so he's really shown a mental strength to come through those early days for sure. He's then obviously transitioned through a few managers when the team have not really been successful. But he has, in the main, always performed very, very well for Man United. He's now had the um, the, the problems he's had with the national team in Spain, not getting picked for a World Cup. But he's got that edge that we all talk about in terms of he, he, he can cope with, with that side of it and he knows what it's like to play for Man United. And he will be relishing the opportunity to play in this final and obviously to try and, you know, get them a trophy on board again. Kind of think, actually, before we bring Peter in, Chris, that maybe his mental fortitude is underestimated. You know, he's had some sticky moments. He's, he had a move to Real Madrid that fell through because of a uh, fax machine, I think, at the time. Also, God knows, it normally is a fax machine, isn't it, why these things fall through. All the problems with the national team, as, as Dave has said, I, I, I think his mental fortitude is actually underestimated. It is. And listen, especially at a club like the top clubs, you don't stay at a top club as long as he has without doing something right. There's no the loyalty in football these days. As soon as you're not doing it, you're gone. So for him to stay at a club like Manchester United for that long just shows what a goalkeeper he is and, and continues to be. But what has he been? Player of the season, which I know over the last few seasons probably 
because the man knew his troubles. He's, uh, he's he's got that player of the season, but listen, he's a, he's a he's he's been amazing for for Manchester United and probably go down as as one of the, as the second best goalkeeper to ever play for Man U. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> he's uh, he's level with your clean sheets record, isn't he, Peter? I think after the weekend, I am so confused about <laughs> that because I've also read that he's beaten it. Um, and then the club went down and said, no, it's only, only level. It, it, you know, it, it's not really important to me in terms of, from my own perspective, it really is important for me as a Manchester United fan that we do have a goalkeeper who's keeping that amount of clean sheets and uh, is carrying on. And I think, Dave, he's a great example for you in teaching. Even though that you've been at a football club for that long and you played in a certain way, there's a new coach coming in. And I have to say, when Ten Hag came in, I'm thinking he might want to bring in another goalkeeper at some point because the way he wants to play doesn't really suit the way that David plays. He's not very comfortable with, with you know, being being part of the build-up and getting the ball to his feet in front of goal. But I have to say, in, in what is it now, seven months, six months since the season started, the, the way that he has evolved into that role is very, very impressive. And it just shows it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter how long you've played, how many games you've played. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. There's always room for improvement and uh, development. And I think he... I'm very, very impressed with, with how he's changed. I don't think he's quite there at the level of, uh, you know, Edison, for instance, which I re reckon is probably the best goalkeeper with maybe Jan Sommer using the feet. But he's getting better from game to game. And you could see right from the beginning of the season... He was a little bit uncomfortable. We saw some some wire passes being, you know, go out the throw-ins. But now there's more accuracy to the passes. That the little thing up to the to the halfway position for the fullbacks when they move up, a little thing over a striker, which is it takes. I mean, you've got to be very confident to to to, to implement that kind of pass. But he's doing it. He's also passing it straight up to a midfield player, come coming running towards you. Uh, towards him with the player and it's back I'm very impressed with that and and, and you know, he, I, I think he is a great example of so many things that can be taught on to goalkeepers in terms of mentality and how, how you can develop and of course he is a guy who, who pulls out these incredible saves and we only have to go back to that last game and, and, and that save he made down to his right was incredible he kept a clean sheet he actually kept his team in the game and, and at the end of it it was a comfortable 3-0 win and three points but had those two, two chances that he saved or the, the two big saves he made had they gone in I don't think that would have been a three point game for Man United and that is that is how you have to look at a goalkeeper the, the impact that he has and David has had that you know ever since he came apart from maybe the first six months is there something, because you've all talked about fine margins and you've all talked about where, where you see, you know, what you see in, in your own goalkeeping is different to what a fan would see, whether that's footwork or anticipation or whatever it is. When you look at De Gea, Chris, you go first on it. From a goalkeeping technique point of view, what stands out for you with him? Nothing phases him for me. I think he's... He's the same demeanour. I don't think his, his demeanour has changed. His personality, I don't think that's changed. He's had to evolve, obviously, like Peter said, with the way he plays. But I just think he's calm and, and that, for me, has not changed. And and that's probably why he's, he's been at the top and he's an elite goalkeeper. But, yeah, for me, it's, nothing's changed when he's going through bad spells. I don't know what he's like behind the scenes. I don't get to see that. Peter probably does. But 
in the games, his, his body language, his demeanour stayed the same for me. Dave? He's very, very calm. And uh, Peter makes a good point. He, he he has evolved this season. For somebody who were at the very, very top, there is always room for improvement. And he showed that. But he is very, very calm. But the one thing for me is it's his positioning and his speed around the goal. He makes tough saves look relatively easy because he's that good and quick in terms of his positioning. Um, saves that other goalies wouldn't make because the positioning wouldn't be as good. The anticipation and the footwork and the speed around the goal is is second to none. But we go back to the main thing. He's played at Man United for such a long time and he he's really evolved into that number one role and he knows what it's like to play for Man United and uh, not every goalie can cope with that pressure. I think that's an interesting point that we can make with the, the here as well. So if we take away the first six months of his time at Manchester United, that wasn't great. And, you know, I think it was in February they played Chelsea and he made an incredible save right at the end. And that kind of changed the fortunes for him. Then he's had a few downs throughout the, the, the period he's been at Manchester United. And every time he's had a bad spell that's gone or gone longer, you know, we can all have bad games, but gone gone on where you, you make uncharacteristically bad mistakes and you repeat them. Every time has been when the manager has said that we've got two number ones. It is the most crazy thing in football that a manager think that he can create better goalkeepers or develop better goalkeepers by creating a competition situation. Because the one thing you don't want, and this is where some managers really lack the understanding of the position, the one thing you don't want from your goalkeepers is to go out and show how good they are. Because the moment, the moment you make the goalkeeping position into a proactive position is where you make the mistakes. A goalkeeper's job is is purely reactive. Not when we talk about obviously you know taking part in play and build up and all that. Take that away. Everything else you are reacting. You're reacting to something that happens. The psychology of this is that if you think you're in a competition situation, you will show the manager that you are the best. Won't happen. You, you're going to make a, a worse goalkeeper out of that. So I like the fact that when the manager comes out and say, I have a clear number one, I'm backing him. Klopp did that yesterday with Alisson. Even though there's no question about Alisson being number one, that's not what the point I'm making. But he said, I'm going to back him because I want him to play like that. So this is what you want, that kind of confidence. You need to give that to the goalkeeper, that you are, regardless of what happens, you are my number one. Then, of course, if you make a mistake in every game that's going to cost you for 10 games, yes, then you have to you know, make a change, of course. But once a manager say you are my number one, it's very, very rare that a goalkeeper go out and make mistakes time and time again. So, And to hear he's been in that situation a couple of times, now there isn't that question mark anymore. You know, he is undisputed number one, and therefore we see the hero at his best because he's got that confidence from from his, uh, his manager. You look like you're going to come in, Dave. Whether the manager says it outwardly to the public or he has a conversation internally with the goalkeepers, but when there's too much competition and the goalie doesn't play his normal game because he's trying to make sure the position's his, you start chasing the game. When you start chasing the game, there's going to be more and more mistakes. Your centre-halves don't know what you're doing. Your full-backs don't know yeah. what you're doing. And it just actually creates more uncertainty. And it's not a calming situation for anybody. So if you go back to the situation that you're coming into this weekend, which is really what we're talking about, carriers coming into this situation is really difficult for him individually, but also the units in front of him. 
Thank you very much to all three of you, to Chris, to Dave, to Peter. Just to, just following uh, Peter's advice, all three of you have been my number one on uh, on this pod. That that works, doesn't it, Peter? I think. <laughs> Chappas, as always, you have you have the words. <laughs> Thank you very much to all three of you, Chris Kirkland, Peter Schmeichel, Dave Watson. If you're not already a subscriber, you can take advantage of the £1.99 a month for 12 months by going to theathletic.com slash football pod. See you soon. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.